Welcome back to Stand Up Citizen. This episode is about norms and how they're getting busted. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of persistent, damaging, broken norms. Following norms is vital to proper government functioning. Professor Edward Watts has written recently about a comparison of the Roman Republic to our time. And recent events like changes to filibuster rules and and other congressional procedures, as well as the increased heated political rhetoric, caused him to be concerned. Quote, It is profoundly dangerous when a politician takes a step to undercut or ignore a political norm. It is extremely dangerous whenever anyone introduces violent rhetoric or actual violence into the Republican system that was set up to encourage compromise and consensus building, unquote. The solution, in his opinion, to keeping the Republic healthy, if we're going to use Rome, as the founders did, as a guide, is for citizens to reject changing and violation of norms developed over two centuries. So the big question to me is what kind of country do we want that cannot adjust to a crisis due to one incompetent president and bad faith all around? What are the precedential, not presidential, effects of a lack of action by the president on the COVID catastrophe? We should be able, the Congress should be able, to compel action by the president in a national emergency, such as pass a veto-proof law or perhaps a writ of mandamus to compel him to do his job by invoking the Defense Production Act. Remember, one of the key problems the framers wanted to tame was the negative effects of faction, the damaging effects of faction that they observed in all ancient republics. They studied failed republics very closely. Another was to prevent one branch from gaining too much power, or the aggregation of power by two of the three branches to overwhelm the others. So with that in mind, I want to let you know that Mitch McConnell doesn't understand the separation of powers, the idea of co-equal branches of government. How do I know? He said on camera he wants to know what Trump will support before he puts a bill up for a vote. He doesn't want the Senate to, quote, spin its wheels, unquote, as if our government was set up to be highly efficient. Even in the COVID crisis, he made the same statement to extend the Rome analogy a little too, too far, perhaps. He's fiddling while Rome burns. Mitch, pass a bill that the Senate and the House want to enact. If the president doesn't sign it or vetoes it, then override the veto. That's how it was designed by the founders of our country. 
Being so deferential to any president, especially this guy, but any president, undermines the co-equal role of the Senate and the Article I branch. When McConnell stops legislation on his own as leader of the Senate, he hollows out the vitality of Congress and installs an institutional lack of courage into the Article I branch. It is almost the definition of the triumph of faction. It's one more example of how our well-designed system of government is being ground to dust by operator error and apparently by the rules that are in place to govern our Article I branch. McConnell's deference to the president is completely the opposite of his attitude toward Obama, especially on the Merrick Garland nomination situation. Remember, President Obama was presented with a need to fill one of the seats on the Supreme Court when Justice Scalia died suddenly in February 2016. Merrick Garland, who was regarded as a moderate, had been praised prior to that by many Republicans, including influential senators such as Orrin Hatch of Utah. But even before Obama had named Garland, McConnell declared any appointment by the sitting president to be null and void. He said the next Supreme Court justice should be chosen by the next president to be elected later that year. This is completely different from how it's been handled throughout our history, thus clear violation of a norm and bad faith. McConnell's rationale, if you can call it a rationale, was that the American people should have a say in the court's direction. It's the president's constitutional right to nominate a Supreme Court justice. And it is the constitutional right to act as a check on the president and withhold its consent on the part of the Senate. Supreme Court picks have often been controversial. There have been contentious hearings and floor debates and contested votes. But to ignore the nominee entirely as if no vacancy existed and to make up a rule out of thin air to prevent the court from having its full complement. In a speech that August in Kentucky, McConnell said, one of my proudest moments was when I looked Barack Obama in the eye and I said, Mr. President, you will not fill the Supreme Court vacancy. And of course, 11 Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee indicated that they would never intend to consent to any nominee. So no proceedings of any kind were held on Garland's appointment. So in retrospect, and I know this is some review, a few thoughts on the Merrick Garland fiasco perpetrated on the citizens of the United States. One, McConnell's refusal to even hold hearings on the Garland nomination is an exercise of bad faith at the highest level, a smashing of a norm, and a clear mark of cynicism. Two, the blocking of the hearing displays sorely lacking political courage of the Republicans, unwilling even to air issues and debate a proper nomination as the Constitution contemplated. They simply 
don't want to operate in the marketplace of ideas. Three, it was a violation of the law that established a nine-justice Supreme Court. Four, it impeded the ability of federal courts and the federal court system to function properly and the court's full functioning as a co-equal branch. So, what should have been the remedy? Well, changing the Senate rules to limit the majority leader's ability to block something on his own, especially well-established nomination and consent process rules, maybe file a writ of mandamus against Mitch, compelling him to do his job. Also, there could have been a challenge to the Senate rules in court that allowed this travesty. Blocking presidential appointments is surely bad faith against proper executive power. But it also interferes with proper government functioning. So let's contrast the lollygagging on the Obama court nominees versus McConnell's aggressive placement of judges that meet his criteria. To sum it up, it is partisan and factionalistic, if I can create a word. And now the HEROES Act sits moribund for over two months during the crisis, held up by a majority leader. Bring it to the Senate floor, debate it. Let all present have their say on the record. Send it to a conference committee if the House bill is different. But to block it entirely, especially at this time, shameful. The power of the Senate Majority Leader is just too much. The Constitution gives both houses of Congress sole authority on making rules on how they operate and the discipline of their members. It's part of the whole checks and balances scheme, keeping the executive branch out of the day-to-day -day business of the legislative branch. But what if those rules interfere with a constitutional function, a design, or a principle? Like the Garland issue, or sitting on a bill long ago passed by the other house and not allowing any debate, and too much deference to the executive branch once again violates or compromises the checks and balances design. So a couple of other examples of maybe more bad faith than norm breaking. Mail-in ballots in democratic states are questioned by the president. And even there's a lawsuit filed against Nevada, which has a democratic governor. Federal agents in unmarked uniforms and vehicles appear in Portland, Oregon, without the consent or request of local and state authorities. That is reminiscent of paramilitaries. One of the main problems with governments that ended up being totalitarian. The recent action to shorten the time for the census, in spite of a request for a COVID-related extension, seemed to be certainly unfair. Here we are presented with clear violations of norms and with bad faith. Now, even the Republican-controlled Senate has been victimized. Anthony Tata did not have 
the votes necessary to get confirmed by the GOP-controlled Senate as Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, third highest civilian post at the Pentagon, nominated by President Trump. President Trump appointed Tata to a made-up job because he knew the Senate would not confirm him and called the job the official performing the duties of the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy so he could avoid Senate confirmation process and the Republicans controlling the Senate. Actually, Secretary Tata replaced John Booth, who was the official who certified that the Ukraine met all of its anti-corruption goals that was part of the, the event that precipitated the impeachment. It's worth noting that the Federal Vacancies Act gives 210 days to an acting senior official. And Trump has at least four acting senior officials. The, the Senate confirmed most. But even Tata was regarded as too extreme. So the president did a bad faith, norm-breaking workaround. So we'll see what the Senate does about it. In Federalist 76, Alexander Hamilton argued Requiring the Senate to, to confirm a president's fic for important jobs was a critical check on the executive branch to prevent the appointment of unfit characters. I should also mention recent actions to reduce the ability of the Postal Service to deliver mail and mail-in ballots on time. How about in firing of four inspectors general? How about election tampering and suggestion of moving the election, which is reminiscent of fascist regimes' actions? How about the abuse of the pardon power? The president pardoned someone who might have testified against him. So he used the pardon of Roger Stone to obstruct justice. How about the filibuster, which has for a long time interfered with normal constitutional functions. So we have a kind of leadership tyranny, at least in the Senate, that reinforces the effects of faction that can be very damaging to a republic. It is contrary to what our founders put in the Federalist Papers in particular to describe the potential damaging effects of faction. It's just pure bad faith in the service of a partisan goal. And there's no way to hold people accountable. And accountability is what a republic is all about. Accountable to the citizens. So far, the HEROES Act is still languishing, and the Senate and the House are on recess as people die at the rate of 1,000 a day. So what is the remedy to change a Senate rule that results in a abuse of authority, abuse of power, a bad faith action, a breaking of a norm? Maybe it's judicial action to implement or correct an imbalance or to make a majority leader or speaker do something that good faith requires. A constitutional amendment would do it, but that's a tall order. Political action to amend the rules within the House or Senate 
uh, could do it if there is the will. A special legislative rules conference has been useful in the past. We always have to keep in mind the checks and balances and overlapping authorities framers put in place. Does it actually exist within the legislative branch? The natural tension the framers also expected between the states and national government should be there, but it's short-circuited by a majority leader's power acting in bad faith. Perhaps a speaker also has too much power, and that should be addressed. We can, let's face it, no longer rely on politicos to act with good faith. That has become obvious. So changes are definitely needed. For example, we should have a rule, something like a bill passed by one house must be handled within 30 days of passage, or it must somehow be moved along within a certain time of passage. On the Supreme Court, the nominee must have a hearing in the Judiciary Committees within 30 or 60 days of nomination, and a full vote 30 days thereafter. The principles are clear. No one person may intervene in or block a constitutional process or Supreme Court nominees. But I guess we have to consider that the rules really are okay, but abuse by an individual causes our situation to be way out of bounds. Since we haven't had a chief executive who will take the right action on this pandemic catastrophe, we at least now have seven states launching a plan to get antigen testing. But why did it take so long? And why are companies not acting to make tests, even if it's on spec? I guess the companies are not citizens after all. Another thing we have to think about is the federal justice system is just very slow. We need special actions rules that require faster movement of issues affecting governance. So what kind of action can citizens take? All kinds of political action. After all, we saw the Black Lives Matter protests widespread and very effective. Unfortunately, the violence was a blight on those, but there was considerable constitutionally protected demonstration. Write to Congress. Write to your senator. Write to congressperson. Go on their websites. Send them emails. You may not think this has an effect, but in many cases it will. Donate to the other guy or the other woman. If you have somebody who's really not standing up for principle, in my case, I'm certainly not going to vote for someone who voted to acquit. And take to the web. There are lots of great websites to find out information. But I know you all know that. If we can change the situation, especially McConnell's deference to the president, Maybe we can take action on COVID after all. Too much power, especially in a constant purveyor of bad faith, is bad for our republic. If you like this podcast episode, please share it. And thank you for listening.